Think about it or not, our leaders in some sense, uh, whether it's the mother or the teacher or the grandparent, or maybe it's just a role model, um, probably somebody behind us following us. And even though you may not have a formal title, um, you're in some ways a leader. And so I probably would have a lot of times been talking directly towards fathers, but I wanted to think about it as leaders in general. Why don't we just pray before we actually start the message? God, we just thank you that you're present this morning. And if you care about each one of us, the Lord, we need you. God, if you think about leaders this morning, and how most of us, and maybe all of us, have some sort of leadership role, Lord, we all have to be followers of you first of all. Management. One of the ideas that came up with um, 
African Albanian community when I was teaching at the university. But right here in the 60s, all the upheaval and people's um, rebellion against the establishment and authorities. And coming out of all of that, he came up with this idea that, you know, we would really need to serve. Uh, they need to be servants of the people that are being around in the past two years. Well, it's interesting that he came up with this idea because it's a pretty old idea. God pioneered that idea long before uh, Robert Greene discovered it. So when I think about leaders as servants, um, there's a certain spiritual command in the Bible about fathers leading. If you want to turn to Ephesians, um, we can pull a couple of verses there. Basically, when you try to study fatherhood in the Bible, it's not like one nice passage where it just lays out things about what the father is doing. Washington was the president of the Institute in Alabama. And one day when he was on his way to, to um, college, he to walk from his home to the college in Alabama. Um, he walked by this, this home of a wealthy white lady, and she saw him going past, and she didn't recognize who he was, didn't realize who he was. And she said, hey, I need some wood chop. Come here and chop some wood for me. He had to spend some work. I don't know what he was about to write, but so he went in. Had it in that, and he went back and chopped a good amount of wood and carried it in the house, stacked it into there, and 
corner and put his coat back on and went off to work. And one of the servants in the house recognized him and said to the lady after, like, do you have any idea who you got the job to with? And she was horrified and she went off to the college to apologize to him. And he said, there's no need to apologize, man. I'm delighted to be favorite from my friends. Um, he had a picture of a servant leader. Somebody who's a leader, he had a big job that he was doing in the college. He was also willing to humbly serve without expecting any recognition and caring about the person he was working for. Um, he called her his friend. Some of the qualities about a servant leader. Uh, the first one is self-sacrificing. Uh, he puts the interests of those he serves before his own interests. I was trying to think of somebody in the Bible as a good example of this. There's probably a number besides Jesus, but one person I thought of was um, being the birth of the Father Joseph. We don't know a lot about him, but there's a lot of things that we can infer about Joseph and, and him being a servant um, as he led his family. He sacrificed a lot for, for Jesus and for Mary, most likely. Um, pretty certain that he sacrificed his reputation. Um, he was probably known as a man that either had a child out of wedlock or that was foolish enough to marry a woman that had um, committed fornication. So most likely he sacrificed his reputation for much of his life. He sacrificed freedom. Uh, for much of his life, or much of the early years of Jesus' life, he made his choice to face not on what would have worked out best for him, but what would take care of Jesus, what was best for preparing for his child. Um, he left Nazareth, went to Egypt. I'm sorry, left Nazareth, went to, to Bethlehem, and then decided to stay in Bethlehem rather than returning to Nazareth, then had to flee to Egypt. Um, all of those things because uh, he wanted to take care of his child. He sacrificed peace because he became a hunted man. Basically, his family was, was uh, being hunted by Herod. It probably impacted his livelihood and maybe his standard of living for the rest of his life. Um, leaving Nazareth and Stephen to stay at Bethlehem because he was born, that he left his business behind in Nazareth, whatever that was. And then he again left his business behind in Bethlehem. And then he left it again in Egypt and moved back to, to um, Nazareth. And all those moves are costly, moving between countries and areas and expensive. But he was serving his family and his child, um, his wife and his child, serving his family, putting their interests before his own. And that's one of the qualities of a servant leader, being willing to sacrifice himself for those he serves. Um, Another quality of a servant leader is to humble. And one of in the forwards to this book, Servant Leadership, some of you said that ego is myopic or myopic. I thought that was a nice way of saying Ego is nearsighted. Ego can't see any further than itself, basically. Just um, another way of saying what the Bible already said that pride goes before destruction. Um, when we are proud, we don't see very well, we can't read very well, we need to be humble to be able to read. We need to let our, our children, or those who are following us, see that we're, that we're human. Uh, we'd like to be perfect, and especially as men, I think we struggle when we fail. We, we would like to feel like we're um, doing the right things and not failing. But it's, it's good for our family, it's good for our children to see that we're humble and willing to remember we're wrong. I don't know why, for some reason, for years dad, I remembered a, uh, one time, I can't even place when it was, but sometimes we were out working, and I don't remember if it was beside the old trailer, I think it probably was, but something happened, and a few words slipped out that dad wished he hadn't said, and dad's language was always very good, especially for his work environment, I was always impressed that he could um, keep his language clean as he did. But I still remember something happened, some words slipped out, and still remember Dad coming back to me and apologizing for what he said. I don't remember what the situation anymore was, but that thing stuck with me for, for years. Dad apologized for something he said, 
and he was willing to be humble and, and come back to me and, and apologize. Our children need to see us being willing to be humble. And they appreciate when we're humble enough to include them. There's some balance, obviously, but when you're willing to include them and get advice from them and input from them, they appreciate that. And that is really true when we're talking about leadership beyond um, our children. You know, when it's leadership and we have people that are adults that we're leading, and they appreciate getting input and advice into the decisions. A servant leader is a servant. Um, he serves. And that means we need to be to serve those who lead in tangible ways and ways that they perceive as being served. I don't know if you fathers or those of you who have been fathers or parents, you ever hear your child say, Dad or Mom, you never do anything for me. I think I've heard something sort of along these lines before. And we think, well, here I've been doing all of these things for you. I've been working and doing all this stuff, and I think it's all for you. But sometimes the way that we feel we are serving aren't the ways that the people that are following us perceive that they are being served. Does that make sense? Um, and you've heard of the five love languages and all that. Sometimes to me, I work all day and provide for you. It doesn't really ring with a three-year-old. You know, that, that isn't dead serving me. Um, they need to feel something more tangible. He needs to serve people in very tangible ways. Um, we always think of the feeling, right? It's, he got down at the servant there. It wasn't a pleasant job. It was something very physical, something that needed to be done, and nobody was doing it. And he stepped in and served. I mean, he was served in other ways. You think about the hours he spent healing people, meeting people, telling them. Um, the miracles where he fed, fed people, he calmed storms, he provided tips for fishermen, he paid taxes with money out of fishers' mouths. He, he was meeting people's physical needs. And those things spoke to those people because, because Jesus was serving them in ways that met their needs. Um, and as, as leaders, we need to be aware that the people that are following us, our children or whoever it be, um, they need to know that we are meeting their needs in the ways that we can. And Jesus took time for people. That's another way that really demonstrated his, his care for them. Um, even when it wasn't his plan, the feeding of the 5,000, if you remember right before that happened, Jesus just said to his disciples, let's go, let's get away for a while, put a place apart. And they start out, and the people watch which way they're going, and all head that way too. And by the time they get there, you cross part of the way, you get there, and there is this crowd of people. And Jesus looked at them and saw that they were as deep as out of shepherds, and they spent the day keeping them there, and fed the 5,000 people. Being an example of service, uh, service that service means physical acts. You really need to do things physically. It means taking time. It means putting people on their knees ahead of what what we want to do. Yeah, that's our time. about a servant leader. A leader, a servant leader needs to be a leader. Uh, he needs to lead, lead his family, lead those things. Uh, trusted with. He provides direction. One of the challenges that I find, um, one thing that challenges me as a, as a father, and actually in, in my work as well, is how to think about things in the long range. Um, I tend to be very... Urgent. And I think he's driven by the urgent thing. Things have got to be done. That's easy to figure out. And I can see that most of things that have to be done and the urgent things to focus on. Thinking about the long term, the spiritual goals for my family, the things beyond today's immediate problem, uh, those are much more difficult for me to think about. But if we are really thinking in the long term and, and providing direction in the long term, 
Um, I don't know how you men find it. I find that my wife tends to be much better about thinking about long term and you know, what's shaping our children um, than I do. A leader needs to be intentional. Um, and certainly, we need to be intentional in directing our family. And we can let life carry us along, or we can choose, attempt to choose our direction and try to go that direction that God does to bring things that, that mold us and direct us in different ways than we expected. But I think we can still choose direction and strive for it, um, being responsible to Him. Years ago, I may have told you all the story before, I don't remember. Um, I was coming down the river, I dropped some people off after church, and told them about it every Wednesday night at night. And it was full moon, it always was, because that made my job a lot easier on the river. And it was pretty clear, it was a few clouds, it was, it was fairly clear. And the river was high, so there was an area that I had to go through that had, that had a lot of rock in it. And so it meant picking my way kind of up through a certain channel. But with the river being high, I can leap on the way down. I can't remember if I could on the way up that time. If high enough, I could just go straight through it, which is really nice. It made my job much easier. But this night, it was at least high enough that I came down, straight down. And I thought I was, the water was deep enough that I didn't have to worry about my motor straight so I didn't even pull it up. That's straight on through. And as I was coming over the rock shelves, all of a sudden, I noticed just a little bit of wave. I couldn't see it very clearly because I wasn't using my flashlight. It was a little way out in front of me, and then all of a sudden I felt something just brush the tip of my boat. And I could tell first I hit something, but it wasn't like hitting rock or hitting it square on. It just kind of spread the thunder. I thought I waited to hear, and nothing hit my boat. That's the price. And that was just the way I hit. One of the first things that crossed my mind was like just a few weeks before, over a two or three week period, two different people have been killed and dumped in the river and they found floating bodies. I was like, it's not what I want to find. I do not want to find a body in the river. And that's to figure out, you know, tell somebody and try to figure out all this mess. But I think I've got to turn around and check that maybe it's just somebody. So I turned around down below the rafts and started trying to light my light up. Couldn't see anything, couldn't see anything. Finally, I just started to go home. And all of a sudden, his tail popped up in the water. And his big, long head. And first of all, I think the first thing I saw was a cow. And I looked at him, and I thought, cow. And I looked at him again, and I said, horse. I said, no, it's not a horse either. And I finally got him, and it's a paper, or what we would call a donkey. Um, it's an animal that's about the size of a large pig. And it's got this little bit of an elephant trunk and she knows on it, like the end of the nose. You can kind of use it as a finger on it. Um, sure enough, this thing was crossing the river there, and I guess I had bumped him with the boat. I don't know if I just bumped his head and he yanked it down and went over the top of him, or exactly what. The thing that amazed me about it was I watched him. He was coming across, I'm going to the river tide. I guess he was walking the rock shelf, so I'm not exactly sure. He even went through some deep water that I didn't think he could touch the bottom, but he went straight across the river. Current didn't seem to affect him at all. Strong current sweeping down. He went straight across and up the bank and then disappeared up in the red tape on the side. Any time I ever saw a live paper. I tell that story because the thing that impressed me about him was that he was not affected by the current. Current was kind of taking one direction, and he had another direction he was going, another purpose. and he was able to keep right on that no matter what the current did. Now, it's probably not, we, I have not been able to be that intentional in my life. I imagine that most of us would say the same. There's things we aim for, we don't always get to. Um, God brings other things in our lives and change our direction somewhat. But we do need to be intentional, and we will have to respond to circumstances and and things that come into our life. But maintaining a focus on the eternal goals um, in the middle of it, the events of madness. So just thinking about a servant leader again. Um, he's self-sacrificing, he's humble, he's a servant, and he's a leader. And all of this, he tries to encourage the qualities by crying out to God for help. I think of, you remember the 
story of Samson and Noah, and I don't remember his wife's name, but it was even um, written down in the Bible. But Noah wanted to, wanted to see the same angel that his wife had seen, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, please let the man of God who you sent come to us again, and teach us what we are to do as a child who will be born. Uh, I don't know what all Manoah's intentions were, but uh, I like that thought. Teach us what we are to do with the child that will be born. Uh, we cry out to God, God, teach us what we are to do. One last story about further leadership. I don't know if any of y'all read the story of Lattice A. Oldwood, who was a missionary of China. Just a her, just the things that happened before she got to China were amazing. And then once she got into China, um, life wasn't super easy either. It turned out she was working with an elderly missionary lady who was fairly set in her way and fairly opinionated and wasn't a super gentle person to work with. And uh, somehow they decided to start an inn at an outreach to in a town where there really weren't other foreigners and people were scared of them. Um, I've probably heard the term foreign devil coming from the Chinese. Well, these people really believed that the foreigners could be devils and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. Um, so they started to start at the end. They thought, well, if there's a lot of travel, if you get an end going, people can come through and teach. And then these people that are coming through are travelers and they would share their stories they hear with other people. Chinese love stories and so we can tell them Bible stories start getting the gospel spread. At some point in the process of the end, we'll have to realize we need a cook. We should have a Chinese cook. We need somebody to tell Bible stories, which we couldn't do because we couldn't take time to do all that. And we need somebody to take care of the meals. She's like, that's going to be my job. I'm pretty sure. And that means scraping mud off of meals and feeding them and whatever else. And sure enough, that was her job. Um, and she also got the job of trying to keep it coming in, turned out to be more difficult than we expected. And I guess the, the reason she's sharing that story is she realized she was going to have to do some serious service. She only became a great missionary, um, or what it was known as a great missionary. And what she started was by scraping mud off of you, uh, being willing to serve in, in ways that weren't at all. Visible or glamorous. The second thing I want to think about the first thing we talked about was serving leadership. second thing is that a, a father needs to teach. There's a pretty clear command in the Old Testament that parents expect the fathers to teach in their families. But if we go back to Deuteronomy 6, Probably one of the classic passages about teaching. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and it shall be a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, really clear command for you they need to be teaching. Teach them diligently. And then, basically, all the time, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. Um, it's interesting that this command comes right. And right after this command, there's another command. <clears throat> when things go well for you, and when you come into the land and hand up all these good things, don't forget God. I know maybe this is part of the don't forget God, it's a key thing. I try to think about examples in the Bible where it talks about fathers who did a good job teaching. Um, I didn't come up with very many. There's not, there's not a lot of. Um, Stories recorded in the Bible that says, and his father taught him to do this instead of father. Now, I thought about Noah. He must have done a good job teaching to convince his entire family that the flood was coming and he climbed into the ark with him. Or you can think about um, the Rechabites, is that right? I think that's the race. 
the ones that their, their father said that they couldn't drink wine, they passed that down, and that was taught for years and years and years, and they consistently obeyed that. There's God said about Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children in his household ask him to teach the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. King James says, I know that he will do this. And he agrees that God has chosen him that he may do this. I don't know. And if you look at the King James and says, Abraham, that's an example that he's going to be teaching. Regardless of which way it is, it's clear that God expected Abraham to be doing this. And I think that that's an expectation of us that we would be teaching. So I think about teaching a little. Um, one of the things about teaching, this is, this is aside from the need to teach our children, teaching is really good for the teacher. I don't know if you all have experienced this or not, but teaching helps us as teachers to grow. If we're trying to teach somebody else something, articulating what we know or what we believe forces us to understand it better. Um, I find that it works in teaching people about some piece of code that we're working on or some way of writing something. Me trying to explain it freaking out to you, like, oh, I don't really understand why we do things this way, or I don't really understand how this works. It's like, Okay, let's see what this up and try to figure it out, and then the next time we know better. I found the same thing when I was trying to teach people in Guatemala. I had three brothers at one point that were new converts. And I was trying to teach them the basics of salvation. They understood very little of it. Um, their mom was a fairly new Christian from a strong Catholic background. And they knew a few Bible stories, but they didn't really understand doctrine and biblical things at all. And when I decided to teach them, I also realized I don't really know some of this stuff very well at all either. Like, these concepts, I hear them and I know what they mean for them, but to try to explain it to somebody else is very difficult. I don't know, maybe I didn't do a good job because unfortunately none of those brothers continued on. None of the three brothers. But it's challenged me that I need to understand things better, and teaching is one of the ways to do that. So I think that part of God's plan and us as leaders teaching others is that it develops in us to understand things better as we teach. It's one of the reasons I appreciate preaching. Because when I preach, I learn a lot more than anybody that listens. We need to teach the Word. Uh, you know, academics are important. Reading Bible stories are important. But we also need to really the word. I remember Byron did not work He's a, he's hard to do. kind of well now. At that point, he wasn't married yet. He came up with something that he did for some survival um, meetings. One of the things he said, and even before he came, he told me, we, we need to share the word with people. If that's the thing that's going to change people's lives. And so we went around and we visited pretty much all the families in the area, like 35, 40 families. And try to leave a Bible where it could lead to the family. And you know, I thought about it, I think Bible's right. Like, we can spend a lot of time discussing things and sharing things, but we need to also share God's Word. God's Word is the thing that has power. Um, God's Word is what we're really changing. Don't assume that your children already know and understand doctrine of the core beliefs. It's pretty easy to think they do, and they don't. Um, I think I, you know, as I grew up, I realized there are things that I take for granted that I understand that I don't really understand. It's also easy for us as children, as we're growing up, to be confused about what things are important and what things aren't. Some of you have never been one time, I think I talked with mom. Years ago, we had this old blue Dawson car. I think the windshield washers didn't work. I don't know if y'all remember this or not. This is my memory. The windshield washers didn't work. Some of you were talking about getting a new car. And I said to mom, we won't use those windshield washers, right? But somehow this is part of my theology. We should not use windshield washers. I have no idea why I got that, where I got that from. But somehow I thought windshield washers just wouldn't be Christian to use. And mom corrected me and let me know that windshield washers actually were a useful thing to find these. I think sometimes we could project onto our children that they just understand those things that we already understand about God. We need to be teaching God's Word 
exposing them to the things that we believe so they can understand and attack the God. They need help understanding We need to teach character and doctrine and principles, uh, things that aren't just you know, shallow things, but trying to teach the, the deeper things that really shape people. Um, teaching them trust in God. The, the world around us today, and especially if you think about COVID and um, the economy, there's a lot of mistrust and worry and trust in certain things to keep us safe or government to bail us out or whatever. You need to teach them to trust in God. George Mueller once, in his, his latter years, um, he, he ended up handing them as much of the conflict to the orphanage as all of somebody else. And he started teaching and preaching, traveling around and preaching. And one time he was coming over to, to Canada and then down to the United States, and he was on a ship. And it was to the coast of Canada, and he had an appointment to preach that evening. But they were stuck in the fall. Completely enclosed in fog. Couldn't see where they were. Captain was maybe a stop about it. It wasn't safe for them to move. And um, George Mueller went down to the captain below that to pray about George, we've got to get Canada today. I've got a creepy kind of thing, and we have to get there. So we're going to pray, and the guys are going to clear the fog. And I went down and prayed, and I don't remember exactly what Captain George said, but when he got done praying, the captain started to study his family and Jewish foot. Don't bother. You don't really believe God's going to do anything, and I know that he already has. So he went back up, and pretty much the fall was gone. And um, the man of the captain was out for a treatment And I read that story, and I, I struggled with it because I tend to rationalize how God could be doing something else with the thing that I would like to change. I don't know. I still don't understand how George Mueller could say constantly, this is what God wants, and I'm going to pray this way. Um, you know, I tend to think, well, you know, maybe the sickness in my life, God is trying to do something, so I say, God, please do me against your will. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, anyway, it's challenging me that, you know, maybe, maybe more of the time than not, I'm really just not sure if God's going to do something. I'm not really trusting. I don't know. Let's look at the balance there. But I was impressed with you with me. And we need to be teaching our children to trust in God. Um, we need to teach our children about nonconformity, the way that we live. You know, our attitude about nonconformity is our lifestyle about nonconformity. One of the things that I've thought about, and I don't, I feel like it's too easy for us that parents kind of lean on Sunday school and school and other things to teach some of these doctrines. I kind of lean on the institutions rather than us taking the responsibility to teach ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake on our part, and especially right now, there's no Sunday school going on. Um, who knows what's going to happen in school? And there's, there's a lot of things that you tend to think are going to be in place that really aren't in place right now. We need to teach through personal testimony. I'm trying to see that God is real to us. <clears throat> we need to ask ourselves the question, is God real to us? Are we, you know, are we really, is our relationship with God vibrant enough that our children can see it? We can appreciate it. Point out to them where God is working. Know the answers to prayer. And I think today, as a, as this, the current events of today, are prime candidates for us to teach about. I don't know if any of y'all do this, but you know, teach our children about how the Bible applies to today's events. You ever sat down and said, they talk through Black Lives Matter with your kids? Or how do you, what about protests? And how should Christians be in place? Where is our involvement in our response to protests? Are we pro protest? Are we against it? Or respect for authority? Or the whole COVID thing, you know? Where, where are we at with that? Like there's, there's lots of current events that are going on right now that are really good for us to sit down and try to discuss and think through with our children. I don't know what the right answers are on all these things. We probably all come out with quite different answers. But I think it's valuable for us to, to attempt to teach in the context of our, our current situation.
final thing I'd like to think about, I'm sorry, the other one the final thing I'd like to think about is love. Um, so I, a father should be a servant here, he should teach, and he should love. I'm not going to read it, but I'm thinking about this in the context of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, where the father loved so unconditionally. Um, sending love back out to the son and the son did not observe it. Um, we've all received love from God in that way. He loves us not because we're lovely, but because we're sons. Um, and we need to love unconditionally towards our children. You know, sometimes it's easy to love. You just see little babies, you know, love comes naturally. But then at 2 a.m., when you've four times, and the 11 month old still won't struggle, and that love starts being a little thinner. It doesn't come as easily. But God calls us to love. The love is um, one of the responsibilities of the Father. That's a glad it's over. Um, she was working with this irascible old missionary. And the one evening, this missionary got angry with him. He was glad it trying to focus on language that he didn't feel like he had time to go take a walk with his missionary. And for some reason, that was a tipping point, and the elderly missionary just blew up at it. I mean, really blew up at it. Throwing things, talking, and glad stuff out. Just go, get out of here, and don't want to see you again. And glad it's for us, I wasn't sure what to do. Finally, she left. She talked to the Chinese cook that we had to have a time. for a couple days, but it's all over. I'm still calling back in a week. But it's like, okay, so thank you. Vacation. Then travel two days to get to another missionary's house where she can stay for a while. And but then, after a week, she didn't get a message that said, please come back. She got a message that something had happened in the old missionary. And the message was sort of garbled because they were coming through a number of people who had word of mouth. So she decided she had to go back. She started traveling back to the life on the way, but missionary was not in the town they had been in. He'd gone somewhere else. Finally figured out which town, got to the town, and found this lady that um, fallen from a balcony. I don't know if it's She was looking at an old at a house where I was thinking maybe she could rent it to use it or something. Fallen from the balcony, fallen down on a pile of coal and broken both of her wrists, and had been laying there ever since. The Chinese wouldn't touch her because they were searching for foreign devil. They just did that. And here's a poor lady for a week or so. Laying on this pile of coal, it's cold and she's suffering, and Gladys came and found her. Gladys said, I'm glad it found her, the way she was sitting around the team, and I said, I'm so glad it came too. I felt horrible. And you know, just this guy in here, I wouldn't realize. I think it's a lot. Going back to somebody that doesn't deserve your love, really, and still care. Unfortunately, the way you did it actually died. It wasn't clear as to why. It wasn't exactly because the accident kind of got back to health for a little bit and it was passed away. But glad it was able to show her love. Um, anyway. We need to love by being focused on the needs of our family. Um, we men can have our agendas, the things we would like to do. That's probably true of, of everybody. Um, but we can, we can kind of have our goal and our agenda as to what we would like to do, the things that we think are important. But those things don't always line up with what our children and our wife really need. Crystal came to me some time ago and said, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot of this myself. And I realized that you know, I've been trying to get some projects done, things that were important to her, but to get those projects done, she was carrying a lot more load than was really her fair share. And I realized that, you know, I need to drop some of the projects to focus on loving and showing love to her in the way that she feels like she needs it right now, rather than just trying to get the things done that I think are important for her. And I think we can even let church responsibilities over God-focused things take too much of our time and we end up neglecting our family. Um, I thought it was that word brought them off, trying to understand what is that balance? Spiritual needs, which is supposed to be the, the big thing, right? You know, you want to meet those needs, but how do you balance that with your family's needs? Remember, Felipe Yoda, in Costa Rica, he had, for a while, he was wanting to start a drug rehab program, and he started out with like three addicts in their house, 
we had talked with among the family that decided they were going to try to do this. Three, they were three guys um, in their home, and they finally got to the point where they said, this is too My family is going to fall apart because you know I'm doing this. And they had to move them out from another location. Um, he was wise enough to realize there's a certain balance that our, that our family can handle. And they were, his children were, trying to remember the time, in a team at least, maybe upper team. So it wasn't like you just had young children who were trying to care for as well, but they had the family that was thinking to do it, and the family decided that it was too much for them to be able to handle it inside their home. Another part of love is we need to be interceding for our family. This is a place that I think I fall down um, way too often. Yeah, I think of the story of Job. You remember Job and how he would go out and after the feast, he would go out and offer burnt sacrifices. He said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts and did it continually. We need to be praying for our children. And we should strive to protect them physically, but are we really protecting them spiritually? And we need to know that we're praying for them. One of the things that would be easy to do in South of the season, we would have a church service, and somebody from the community would come and visit. It wasn't, there wasn't somebody there all the time, but they'd been there, somebody would come from the outside of the regulars. And we would go to prayer meeting, and one of the church members would say, Pray for John. He had such a hard heart to meet God. And John is standing right here beside us. Um, pray for John. But God is such a hard heart. And you know, for American, this is, that, that doesn't seem quite right. You wouldn't really say that in front of somebody, would you? I mean, sometimes we even feel a little self conscious getting prayer requests that somebody else is sitting in service. You know, maybe didn't want that exposure, or, you know, that you, you worry about this. But that was their, their way. And, you know, I, I think there's some, some good to that. They knew that we cared. They knew that we wanted to see a change in them. And I think our children need to know that we're praying for them. Um, it's not just something that we do apart from them. It's something they hear that their parents hear and pray. Part of love is time. Some of us felt that the average father takes eight minutes per day with his child. And then I was trying to evaluate myself and wondering how much time do I actually dedicate to a particular child? And if you think about the eight minutes as undivided attention of mine, it might be pretty hard to come by if they yeah, sit down and spend eight minutes to be for my children individually. Um, our boys would sometimes say, hey, Dad, come down and play later for us. And then one day I decided to go down with them and, hey, I don't know, make you think. One of them said, you're always holding somebody when you come. And I have all of them. I have Audrey, somebody with me, so I can't really play. I'm just there. I'm not, you know, not really interacting the way they want. Um, you do really give time. So, in summary, the thing that we're talking about is that a father can read as a servant, a father can teach. And a father love. And I don't want to sound just to say, you know, work harder and, and make this all happen. But to depend on God and that, that He will, in His desire, see us be the leaders that we should be. It's been good for me to think about these things. There's a lot of things that I feel like I need to grow in. Tried to make some changes since the first Christmas and studying over again, I think there's some more things that I'd like to try to change. Back to that story of the, the paper. He crossed the river unaffected by the tracks and made his purpose in the cross. Um, I'll tell you another story from the river. Now, I don't know if this has happened here in the city, too, down in Texas, because some of the hurricane flooding several years ago. We had a couple times where the, the river. Flooded uh, when we lived in Tempe. I guess one time we were actually there, I did a summer in that, that I know. And the time we were in Tempe, we actually came into our house. Just an inch or two of water got in. <clears throat> the river is terribly slow moving and takes forever for it to flood. Like here, a flash flood, you know, things fill up quickly. Well, there it took like a week and a half to go from normal to the crest, and then about that long to get back down to, to um, normal again. And it, I don't know, it went up like 12 feet or something, or 
I'm way over time. 